0: This is Clinical Pearls. In our immediate past podcast, we covered benign gestational trophoblastic neoplasia. That's a benign or partial mole. In this episode, we're going to continue the discussion focusing on malignant gestational trophoblastic disease. Remember, this is part two, so if you haven't heard part one, this episode will probably make more sense if you listen to the benign counterpart first. Remember, we're talking about malignant sequelae. So the diagnosis of malignant sequelae, which is an indication for chemotherapy, includes a plateau or an increase of HCG levels after evacuation of a molar gestation. Chemotherapy is also indicated if the histological diagnosis at time of DNC shows choriocarcinoma or an invasive mole. Or if the workup of a suspected mole before the index DNC identifies or there's clinical markings of metastases, then of course, chemotherapy is necessary. Now, just to clarify, and we said this in the episode immediately before this as well, that if the beta-HCG values plateau, or obviously if they rise after evacuation of a mole, we have to number one, exclude a new pregnancy. And once we've done that, it's important to remember that repeat curatage is not recommended because it does not often reduce remission or influence treatment and it can only result in uterine perforation or hemorrhage. So as long as the HCG values are decreasing after molar evacuation, there's no need for chemo. But this is why putting the patient in surveillance with frequent to weekly HCG checks after evacuation of the uterine contents is necessary to identify early possibility of malignant sequelae. Here's the first clinical pearl mentioned in the first episode as well. Remember that up to 50% of choreocarcinomas happen after term deliveries. So any patient who delivers at term and has persistent vaginal bleeding with a persistent beta-HCG, and especially if they've got neurological symptoms, then an evaluation should be done for gestational choreocarcinoma. 25% of choriocarcinoma cases happen after molar gestations and the last 25% happen after other accidents of pregnancy like ectopic or spontaneous miscarriages. Time for a quick side note, because if we're going to talk about chemotherapy, we have to talk about, of course, like in life, the one exception to the rule. Placental site trophoblastic tumors are relatively rare. They're characterized by the absence of villi with proliferation of intermediate trophoblast cells. The number of syncytial trophoblasts observed is decreased in placental site trophoblastic tumor with relatively lower levels of HCG secreted by these tumors. Generally, placental site trophoblastic tumors are not as sensitive to chemo as other forms of malignant GTD, so it's important to distinguish these tumors histologically from regular choriocarcinoma or just malignant sequelae. Surgery assumes a much more critical role in the management of placental site trophoblastic tumors. Now, fortunately, most patients have disease confined to the uterus and they can be cured by hysterectomy. Here's a clinical pearl about placental side trophoblastic tumors. Remember that hCG can be elevated, but the m- hormone most typically associated with this condition is human placental lactogen. All right, now let's focus on the proper management of malignant gestational trophoblastic disease. Once the diagnosis of malignant gestational trophoblastic disease is suspected or established, immediate evaluation for metastasis and risk factors is mandatory. Along with history and physical, the following labs should be done. A CBC, clotting function studies, renal and liver function tests, blood type and antibody screen, and of course, the pre-treatment or the baseline HCG level. Remember that radiological studies are also indicated here and these can include a chest x-ray or a CT scan of the chest. It can also include a pelvic ultrasound, brain imaging with either CT or MRI and the same goes for the abdominal pelvic area with either a CT or MRI scan. Now here's a clinical pearl. Systemic arterial metastasis usually occur only after pulmonary metastasis have been established. So, at a minimum, a patient with postmolar gestational trophoblastic disease needs a chest x-ray. And if lung lesions are detected, then further imaging of the abdomen and brain should be performed to identify the possibility of liver or brain metastases. Once the workup has been established, there are 3 systems which have been used to categorize patients with malignant gestational trophoblastic disease. The first is the WHO prognostic index score. The second is a clinical classification system which was developed from early experiences with chemo for patients treated by this condition by the NIH. Here's your clinical pearl. The clinical classification system for GTD is the one most commonly used in the USA. The third system is the FIGO staging system, which actually underwent a revision in the year 2000. All systems correlate with clinical outcomes of patients treated for malignant gestational trophoblastic disease, and they identify patients at risk for failure to respond to chemo. Alright, again, in the United States, the system most commonly used is a clinical classification system. This system segregates patients with non-metastatic disease from those with metastatic disease because virtually all patients with non-metastatic disease can be cured using initial single-agent chemotherapy, and that's regardless of other risk factors. Patients that have metastatic disease are then subdivided based on the presence or absence of risk factors because that correlates with their response to initial single-agent chemo. Those who lack any of the high-risk clinical factors are likely to respond to initial single-agent therapy and are classified as having good prognosis metastatic disease. Patients who have any single high-risk clinical factor are classified as having a poor prognosis disease. These patients not only are at increased risk of failure of single-agent chemo, but they also have an increased risk of death if treated with single-agent therapy. Now let's take a look at the specific type of chemotherapy a patient requires based on these categories, starting with non-metastatic gestational trophoblastic disease, and then we'll dive into those with metastatic, both good and poor prognostic factors. Remember, as we said previously, patients with non-metastatic gestational trophoblastic disease have great cure rates with single-agent chemo. This usually includes intramuscular methotrexate at a dose of 30 to 50 milligrams per meter square. Based on the data, it seems that this weekly administration of IM methotrexate at 30 to 50 milligrams per meter square was the preferred because it actually reduced the risk of toxicity while still maintaining high efficacy. Chemo is continued until HCG values have reached normal levels, and then an additional course is administered after the first normal HCG value has been recorded. Hematological indices should be monitored carefully during chemo, but significant hematological toxicity is infrequent among patients treated with weekly methotrexate at this dose. Here's another clinical pearl, the overall cure rate for patients with non-metastatic GTD is nearly 100%, so that's very reassuring. Now let's switch over to the metastatic variety, and focus first on low-risk metastatic disease. These patients can be treated successfully with initial single-agent regimens. Most often, this consists of 5-day treatments using methotrexate or intravenous dactomycin recycled at 14-day intervals. About 40% of these patients will require alternative therapy to achieve remission. However, essentially all patients with low-risk metastatic GTD can be cured with conventional chemo. Hysterectomy in conjunction with chemo may also decrease the amount of chemotherapy required to achieve remission. Similar to women with non-metastatic gestational trophoblastic disease, one to two cycles of chemo should be given after the first normal HCG is achieved. Now, unlike women who have low-risk metastatic disease, those patients who have high-risk metastatic disease require multi-agent chemo with additional surgery or radiation often incorporated into the treatment algorithm. Aggressive treatment with multi-agent chemo is an important component of the management of these patients. This chemotherapy regimen usually includes methotrexate, dactinomycin, chlorambisol or cyclophosphamide. More recent regimens have incorporated etoposide with or without cisplatin in combination chemo with high rates of success, but these also have a high risk of leukemia in survivors, so it's important to keep that in mind. Management of cerebral metastasis is controversial. Radiation therapy has been used concurrently with chemo in an attempt to limit acute hemorrhagic complications in patients who have these brain meds. Brain irradiation combined with systemic chemo is successful in controlling brain metastasis with cure rates up to 75% of the time. However, a similar primary remission rate has also been reported among patients treated with combination regimens that used high-dose systemic methotrexate combined with intrathecal methotrexate infusion. For all patients who have high-risk metastatic GTD, chemo is continued until ACG values have normalized, and then it's continued for an additional 2 or 3 courses of maintenance chemo in hopes of eradicating all visible tumor. Now, despite the use of sensitive HCG assays and maintenance chemotherapy, up to 13% of patients with these high-risk disease will develop recurrence after achieving that initial remission. Well, team, we're here at the wrap-up, but we can't leave without talking about surveillance. All patients who have malignant gestational trophoblastic disease, whether that's non-metastatic or metastatic and whether it's good prognosis or poor prognosis, requires surveillance after HCG remission has been achieved. Patients with malignant gestational trophoblastic disease should undergo serial determinations of HCG values at two weeks for the first three months of remission, and then have it done at one-month intervals until monitoring has shown one year of normalization of the HCG levels. The risk of recurrence after one year of remission is less than 1%, but of course, late recurrences have been observed. All right, guys. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. This brings us to a wrap. We have covered both benign and malignant gestational trophoblastic disease. We'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.